Good morning. It's great to be here. It's uh, good to see you all. Um, last time I saw most of you, you were this big on my computer screen. So it is really good to be here in person. Um, <clears throat> I want to uh, just make sure we're on the same page. Um, I'm on page 64. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> that was obtuse, right? <laughs> all right, so it's 9.30. We, we end at 12. Yeah, 12. Okay. Good. We'll break uh, in the middle somewhere. Um, so, uh, in, um, uh, in Africa, 100 years ago, there were 141,000 Christians. 141,000 Christians on the entire continent that we could tell. I say we, but I'm not that old. Um, but yeah, 141,000 Christians. Uh, in 2015, uh, there were 500 million Christians. 141,000 to 500 million in 100 years. Um, the uh, projection in 2015 was that by 2030, there would be a 40% increase from that to 700 million believers in Africa. In the continent of Asia, um, during that same time, from roughly um, uh, 1915 to 2015, uh, the number of believers in Asia grew at twice the rate of the population. Twice the rate of the population. And was project projected to add another 110 million by 2025. So four years from now, although that was a 10-year span from 2015 to 2025, uh, 110 million new believers um, projected in Africa. Some of you are in Asia. Some of you are probably familiar with uh, what happened in China uh, specifically and uh, just the tremendous growth of the numbers of believers in China. Um, the church is growing. Uh, the church is not at risk. Uh, in North America... Uh, the church is in a little bit different place. Um, in the U.S., uh, one out of every, or the, the ratio is one to four. And uh, some of you have heard me talk about this before. But for every person who um, trusts in Christ for the first time in North America, four people leave the faith. For every person that trusts in Christ for the first time, four people leave the faith. So we are going backwards at a rate of one to four in North America right now. 95% um, of Christians in North America have never led anyone to Jesus. 95% have just never led anyone to Christ. So I, I'm not here to guilt you. <laughs> I, I'm, what I'm here to do is say what we see isn't normal, uh, and it's not what's happening globally. God is at work around the world, and I believe he wants to work in North America uh, as well. Um, but in order for that to happen, we need to make some changes in our thinking, and we started to talk about that um, in the first seminar, uh, which we called The Joy of Disciple Making. I've changed the name of that since then to the E-word, because my daughter thought that was much catchier. 
Um, so the E-word, and we'll review that a little bit. And then rewired. So the E-word is about evangelism, how people come to faith. Rewired is about um, discipleship, how people grow in faith. And today what we're going to talk about is multiplication. So how do we multiply disciples? Not just make disciples, but multiply disciples. So um, Matthew 13 says, As for what has sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. And in another, thirty. The kingdom of God, bearing fruit, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, in another thirty. Um, I don't know the exact math because I don't have a good head for that, but um, I read just recently that if you led two people to Christ um, a year, who then led two people to Christ the next year, and so on. So each year you just led two people to Christ, and each year they led two people to Christ. After 20 years, there'd be several billion new disciples just from the work that you were a catalyst for, one person. So um, that's scary and uh, exciting. And as we look at Africa and Asia and other parts of the world, we see that that kind of thing has started. And, and some of these places are the hardest places to reach. Um, there's some amazing things happening in Iran, for instance, um, most of which I can't share with you, <laughs> especially because we're, we're going onto the Internet. But um, in the Muslim world, God is working in some tremendous ways, and people are coming to Christ, and uh, the gospel is multiplying. So, so we want to talk about multiplication today. Before we get to that, we're going to review um, what we talked about the last two times. So let's talk about the E word, uh, and this is evangelism. And we're not going to go in depth on this because of time, but I do want to at least um, refresh our memories. And for anybody who wasn't here, uh, give you a, a quick overview. How many of you were here for the E word, for the very first one? Oh, most people. Good, good. Um, I'm sure anybody who wasn't at all, uh, you can get the notes and share. I would give you the notes, except the notes are very sketchy. So you're probably better off talking to somebody who was here and copying down what they said. So, but basically, we said that there's 10 points, uh, 10 actions that we can take in order to be effective uh, at evangelism. We can experience the joy of discipleship, uh, disciple making by taking 10 actions. The first one is to reimagine the gospel. Reimagine the gospel. We have all kinds of weird ideas today about what the gospel is. Um, the gospel is not simply a get out of hell free card. The gospel does get you out of hell free, but that's not the essence of the gospel. Um, it's not a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. The gospel leads us to want to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. But the gospel, at its essence, is about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship with God. So we see in the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve. He was in relationship with them. And then we see in Revelation, uh, this new heaven, the new Jerusalem comes down, and the dwelling place of God is with people. It's about relationship. And then throughout the whole narrative of Scripture, it's about God reaching out and um, making a way for us to be in relationship with him. So the gospel is primarily about a relationship with him. So reimagine the gospel. Um, note that we didn't say reinvent the gospel. We're not making this up, right? It's all based on this book. Not this book, but this book. 
right? It, it, it's the Bible. We're just going back to the Bible. So number two, reimagine the harvest. Um, the harvest isn't in, in Asia. It isn't in Africa. It's not in Latin America, unless God calls you to go there, or you're already there. The harvest it is in Hillsborough, Missouri, right? Or it's in St. Louis, if that's where you work. Or it's in wherever you might go to school. The harvest is the circle of people that you are already in uh, proximity to. Now, we can talk about like internet evangelism and stuff like this, but, but primarily it's the relationships that you have or that you can make. So the harvest isn't necessarily going overseas, although we need people to go overseas. Uh, we need people to be missionaries. But if we think about the harvest as out there somewhere, we can miss the people who are right in our own backyard. So we reimagine the harvest. Number three, we reimagine the goal. What is the goal of the gospel? What's the goal of evangelism? It's not behavior change. It's not making people more like us. The goal is faith. The goal is faith. There's one thing that the Bible says, without which you cannot please God. You only need one thing. The author of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we'll talk more about that later this morning. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But you must believe, A, that God exists, and B, that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So faith is the purpose. It's the goal. Um, it, it's not getting people to give up their bad habits. It's not getting people to believe um, the right theology, although that needs to come. It, it's not about getting people to um, you know, act like you, think like you, join your church, whatever, right? The goal is faith. So we reimagine re the goal. And then number four, we reimagine the process. Let me just stop here real quick. And say we're a relatively small group this morning, so if you have a question or whatever, just you know, stick up your hand. I'll try to stop periodically for questions, but don't wait if you've got like a burning question. Um, if you've got a snide remark, I'll have time for that later too, but you, you might want to wait for that. All right, so, um, so for the process, reimagine the process. So the process of evangelism, we often think as kind of going out and... Um, buttonholing people, right? Confronting people. We often think about the process as somehow confronting people with the gospel. You're a sinner. God's mad at you. Jesus died on the cross, so God wouldn't be mad at you anymore. And so repent and believe, right? Now, now that's a way of presenting the gospel. Nowadays, most people don't even understand what sin is. So you've introduced a whole bunch of foreign ideas to them that are going to need explanation and thought and a lot of things. So um, as we look at Scripture and the way in the New Testament they made disciples, the process involves four invitations. Four invitations. The first invitation is to experience the gospel. Experience the gospel. And the primary way that we do that is we invite people into relationship with us and other believers. And so they experience the love of God that we have for one another and his love for them through us and our relationship with them. And so Jesus says, um, uh, you know, in Luke 13 and Matthew 5, 
um, you know, they'll know we're Christians by our love. And they'll experience him through that. So that's the first invitation. The second is to understand the gospel. And they need to have enough right theology to be able to make a decision for Christ, right? Like they can't believe some weird wacko stuff that does, you know, that keeps them from understanding who Jesus is. So understand the gospel. The third invitation is for them to share the gospel. And if you were here uh, when we went through this, we spent quite a bit of time talking about how the order is different than how we normally see it. So typically we think you can't share the gospel until, first of all, you've become a believer, and second of all, you have a whole lot of training. But in Scripture, we see people sharing the gospel even before they become believers. So in John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, she wasn't necessarily a believer yet. She was excited about Jesus. She leaves her, um, her water pitcher at the well, runs into town and said, Could this be the Messiah? I've experienced something here. I understand something here. I don't know. Could this be the Messiah? So she didn't know, you know much about uh, faith or about Jesus. Maybe she wasn't even a believer herself yet. And she went and uh, began to share it. So we talked about how you can help people share what they're learning, what they're experiencing with other lost people, even before they become Christians. And, and we'll talk more about that again uh, later this morning. So that's the third invitation. The fourth one is invite people to respond to the gospel. They do have to respond. People do have to repent and believe. Right? That is essential to the gospel. And we talked about an easy way to, to remember how to kind of lead people to that. Admit, A. B is believe. C is choose. So you admit your need for a Savior, that you're a sinner, that you have done things that displease God, you haven't kept his standards, you haven't even kept your own standards. You believe the facts about Jesus. And C, you choose to place your faith in him. A, B, and C. So those are the four invitations. Number five, show initiative. Show initiative. The gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. And we talked about the commonly uh, misquoted um, quote that's attributed to St. Francis. Preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. So historically, there's no evidence that he ever said that, um, and it's like totally not true. You can't preach the gospel without using words. You can demonstrate the gospel, right? You can demonstrate the love of God. But the gospel is a message. It's a message. It's good news. And it has to be spoken. It has to be preached. And so Paul says, faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes through the word of Christ. Right? So uh, we have to show initiative. We don't see in the New Testament anywhere people sitting around uh, hoping people will come up to them and say, um, hey, I've just noticed that you're such a great person. What is it that makes you different? Now that can happen. But we don't see people waiting for that. We people, see people showing initiative, you know, taking steps of faith, taking a risk uh, to share the gospel. So that's five, show initiative. Number six, gather a team. I won't get into this because we're going to talk more about teams today. Number seven, gauge receptivity. Gauge receptivity. So um, the New Testament model is to look for people who are receptive, people who aren't receptive. Um, what did Jesus tell people, his disciples, to do? They'd go into a town, the town wasn't receptive. 
knock the dirt off their feet as a sign that, woe to you, right? You're under God's curse. Now, I'm not saying that you should do that in all your relationships with people who might not receive Jesus the first time you invite them to. But Jesus does encourage us to gauge receptivity and to focus on people who are receptive. So what is receptivity? Receptivity is basically uh, the willingness to engage in good faith. Right? So I've had situations where uh, I'm talking to people about the gospel, and at a certain point in the conversation or at a certain point in the relationship, you realize they're willing to debate with you, but it's totally intellectual, or they're just trying to like, send you on a bunch of rabbit trails. They're, they're really not interested. So don't make them mad. Don't waste their time and yours. Keep praying for them. Stay in a relationship with them. You know, ask God for opportunities to share. Ask God to soften their hearts. Ask God to work in their lives. But, but don't spend all your time and energy um, you know, focusing on trying to, to convince them to change their minds. Uh, look for people who are receptive. So gauge receptivity. Number eight, meet intentionally. So we talked about um, bringing lost people into our circle of friendships and relationships and also going into their circle of friendships and relationships. The last thing we want to do is pull lost people out of their um, circle of influence because then the gospel stops with them. Um, and there are exceptions to that, you know, if they're gang members and, you know, and, or in really unhealthy or unsafe environments. But for the most part, we want people to be able to keep their relationships with lost people as long as they're not being negatively harmed. Um, and so we meet intentionally. And there's three reasons to meet. One is, um, why do we meet? Uh, relationship building. So relationship building between you and your lost friend. Relationship building between your Christian friends and them so they can experience the love of Christ. Um, allowing them to experience the gospel as you serve them, as you love them. Also inviting them to serve you and then meeting with Jesus through Scripture. And we laid out a kind of a simple plan for how to do that over time to read the Bible together. Number nine, mobilize the responsive. When you see people who are responsive, mobilize them. Get them out into the harvest. Help them understand that being sent is essential uh, to the gospel. Um, even before they're saved, you're reading the Bible with them, you can say, who else needs to hear this? Right? We just learned about Jesus turning water into wine and that that has something to do with um, you know, his extravagant grace toward us. Who do you know who doesn't understand that about God? And so um, you can share that with them. Again, even before they've necessarily trusted Christ. But you, you've got this rhythm started. And then number 10, pray. Because you should pray. And then we laid out some things that you can pray ways that you can pray. All right, so um, questions about that? We just raced through about three hours of information in about 10, 15 minutes. All right. You can always uh, get the book when it comes out. I'm just kidding. There's no book. Um, but I do think in the notes there's some recommended reading if you want to uh, dig into some things different uh, or deeper. All right, so rewired. So once somebody has come into the family of God, they've, they've repented, they've believed, they've trusted in Christ, right? They're part of the family of God. Then what happens? How do we help people grow in Christ? And we talked about how 
immature believers are the number one reason people leave churches. Immature believers are the number one reason people leave churches. And there's three, um, three reasons for that. One is because they've been hurt by immature believers. Happens all the time. People get wounded by the church. Number two, they aren't able to differentiate between other religions and Christianity because they don't see God at work in people's lives. And number three, they've never experienced God for themselves. The vast majority of North American churches talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit as if we're talking about Abraham Lincoln, right? He existed as a historical figure. Um, we think he did some good things, but we don't have any real relationship or experience with him now. So those are the kind of the three things that we're trying to, to fix. And the way to fix those is to get mature believers, right? Help immature believers become mature believers. And so we talked about six uh, kind of steps in that process. Number one is define the destination. Define the destination. What does spiritual maturity look like? It doesn't look like becoming increasingly nice. Jesus wasn't necessarily a nice guy most of the time. Right? Now, he was kind, but not necessarily nice. And there were times when like, he went in and cleansed the temple. It says he, he made a whip, like he fashioned a whip. So he spent time thinking about this and actually made a whip to go into the temple and start, you know, using the whip. So the destination of spiritual maturity, what is it? What does it look like? A spiritually mature person has a tight relationship with Jesus. It's so tight that it influences their thinking and actions to be Christ-like. They think and act like Jesus as a result of their intimacy with him. So that's the destination. Number two, identify the route or the route. How many of you are route people? How many of you are route people? Oh, we got a mixed bag here. Hopefully this will not wreck our unity. Um, So what is the route route to maturity? The route route is faith. It's a relationship of faith. Again, faith is God's primary concern when it comes to you. Faith is the key to everything. Your obedience springs from your faith. And we talked about the transformation tree, that our beliefs are the roots, and our behaviors are the branches, and our fruit are the results. And when we aren't getting good fruit, we go backwards and say, oh, change your behavior. But that's not really the problem. Often the problem is our beliefs, but sometimes our beliefs are okay. But it's the trunk that's the problem. The trunk is faith that connects our root belief system with our behaviors. Faith. So the root is faith. The root is growing in faith, which involves knowledge, but is not limited to that. Anything that misses the faith relationship in Jesus is not spiritual maturity. It can be behavior modification. It can be moralism. It can be human effort. Some of the most disciplined people I know are Muslims. Some of the nicest people I know are Muslims. They have no relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But if they just change their language from Islamic language to Christian language, you would think they're spiritually mature if you weren't looking for a tight relationship with Jesus in faith. Right? So it's the faith that is the route. Number three, follow God's lead. 
We talked about how a relationship with God is like a dance. He leads and we respond. He makes an invitation to salvation. We respond with faith. He invites us to grow. We respond in faith. He invites us to take faith risks. We respond in obedience. So we follow God's lead. This means that we need to understand um, how to understand scripture, because primarily God speaks through his word, his spirit and circumstances, his word being uh, core and central. Um, And uh, we follow his lead in, in what he's asking us to do. We talked about the spiritual maturity cycle and how it's not simply you read a verse and then you have a to-do list, but it's actually ingraining that into our heart and habits. Number three. Number four, defend against the enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil are out to get us. And we need to defend against them. The primary way we do that is by believing better truths. The battle is not for behavior. Behavior follows belief. The battle is for believing better truths. So what do we believe? We talked about the four pillars What do we believe about who God is? What do we believe about what he has said? What do we believe about what he's done? What do we believe about who we are in Christ? And then we talked about how that belief, so so it's not a matter of like getting the information from our head to our heart. It's a matter of getting it from our head to our hands and feet. And then our heart will follow. So we believe these facts about Jesus, so, so a friend of mine says, either Jesus is who he said he was or he's not. So, for instance, is God your provider? You know, I know this here, but I'm scared. Okay, so what do you do about that? You take small steps of faith. What small steps of faith can I take? Well, maybe if I don't give anything to the church, I can start giving to the church. Even if I don't have any money. Okay, so there are some times when God says, that's okay, like don't give. But if you're working on building your faith in that, you know, so give a dollar in the offering plate on Sunday, you know, then start to give once in a while, then begin to give regularly, then begin to give sacrificially, right? And so we go from believing it to doing it, and our emotions follow, because emotions are just emotions. I can feel all kinds of crazy things, I'm getting on my soapbox, (laughs) But, but this is something I think in America we really struggle with, is, you know, I don't feel it, therefore I, I don't do it. So it, it's because we've become confused about the, the role of feelings. Feelings are just feelings. Sometimes they're based on reality. Sometimes they're based on some crazy thing. I watch the Cubs game, and I think, wow, we're going to win this time. And I'm really excited, and I'm joyful. And, oh, Almost never anymore, right? So then the game ends, and I'm really sad, right? So my initial elation was based on what? Who knows, but not reality. So feelings are just feelings. We feel our feelings. They're good. All emotions are a gift from God. But we don't act based on our feelings. We act based on our fact, the facts. So believe better truths. Number five, navigate the desert or the wilderness. You will experience times when the heavens seem like brass, when God seems a million miles away. Most of the time, that's not a result of your sin. Sometimes it is. But most of the time, that's a result of God weaning you off experiences. 
So which takes more faith? To see God active and um, um, to feel him intimately every single day of your life? Or to follow God even when, I don't know, every prayer is getting answered? Is he around? So Christian maturity is not about experiences. And so there's often a stage between the youth, being a spiritual youth, and moving into the spiritual parent stage where God will bring you through a desert experience where it just feels like God is far. That's okay. That's even normal, some would say. And what God is doing is saying, it's about me as a person and you trusting in me as a person even if you can't feel me here. So the dad helps um, the child take the training wheels off and you know, runs alongside, and then the, the child continues on. And the dad is you know, encouraging, well, maybe the child can hear or not, but the child has to trust that the work the dad has done in their lives is going to keep them safe on the bicycle. Right? So navigating the desert. And then finally, number six, celebrate the milestones. We talked about the assurance, deliverance, remembrance cycle. We'll talk more about that today, so I won't get into that too much. Rewired. We're rewiring our brains. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your minds. And that's what spiritual maturity is, that transformation. 